Simon Wollstonecroft is a drummer from Manchester. His first band at school was with Ian Brown and John Squire. His second band became The Smiths. He played with The Fall for 11 years and continues to play drums for Manchester bands today. Johnny Marr nicknamed him Funky Sai. This is Funky Sai's A to Z of Manchester. Hello Simon, how are you? I'm very well, Jackie. How are you? Yes, I'm good, thank you. What have you been up to today? Well, um, I've been to the pub today, um, my favourite pub, the Eagle in Salford. Okay. Um, which is a Victorian, you know, backstreet pub, basically. Mm-hmm. And I love it there. But um, I had to, uh, in order to get a drink, I had to download the app that the pub put on in order to buy a drink. Um, you know, I didn't know you had to be Bill Gates in order to do this. <laughs> And I had to get uh, three young kids to help me, you know, to, to uh, get it on the on the system, so to speak. That's hilarious. Were you just passing your phone round to the kids? <laughs> I think they, they could see I was struggling and help me out, which is nice of them. And so is it so that you order your drinks through the app? Is that how yes. it works? Yeah, they were doing burgers as well, uh, beetroot burgers. Have you ever tried them? No, but it sounds delicious. Yeah, they were. It's um, uh, Is a beetroot burger vegan or is it... A meat burger, but it's just got beetroot in it as well. I would, I suspect it's vegan. Oh, okay. And what was it like? Great. I loved it. My mate, Andy uh, Fletcher, he, he's gone into the, uh, a catering trade, a bit like me. You know, since the studios have been locked down, so he ran the, uh, well, he does still does run the Manchester Music Box, rehearsal space, uh, studio, in Stevenson Square. So he's branching out. But it's very nice, yeah. But it's just nice to be back there. You can sit outside. And uh, it was a bit kind of uh, apprehensive about going back, you know, drinking and all the rest of it. But with social distancing, you were OK? Yeah, sure, yeah, yeah. yeah. Just got to be careful, haven't you? Well, you absolutely do. OK, well, we're up to... We're up to the letter M. Well, I'm going to start with Mark Eastmith because um, I spent a lot of time with him and he was my boss for 11 years. Um, Did you view him as your boss? Uh, when I, yeah, when I first started. No, not really. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, you'd have to turn up for the gigs and everything, but you just played it as you went along. I, had to, I learned to get to know how his uh, mind worked, shall we say. Did you ever really work out how his mind worked? No, he was always a bit of a Walter Mitty. Um, he said he had contacts in the British Intelligence Service... This came up once when we, well, the band were flying to Tel Aviv uh, to do a show out there. And uh, we were at Manchester Airport. And Mark ha- actually did have a lot of academic friends. And they study his words and, you know, they have lectures on it. Do they actually have any meaning? Could you just study them forever and they could mean a million different things? Well, I think they sort of break it down how many times he mentions an insect, say, or uh, this kind of animal. They have bar graphs and... Uh, you know, uh, what do you call it those things? Uh, <laughs> I don't know what things. <laughs> <laughs> Something point and business people have it, and they have a, a thing with a stick. <laughs> <laughs> PowerPoint. Oh, a PowerPoint presentation. I think that's what they're called. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Nobody will be studying us two. <laughs> we can't even remember what it's called. <laughs> Okay, so back to Marky Smith. Yeah, we're on our way there. We're at Manchester Airport. I think it was at the time we saw Alex Higgins in the bar, (laughs) a snooker player. He was on his own flying somewhere. He had his 
cue case and snooker cue in a case, that's all he had. They had a pint there, it was about nine in the morning. But me, Steve and Mark were sat there and Mark said to us, look, I've had inside information um, of some friends of mine so taking it to be one of his, you know, Cambridge um, associates, shall we say. So he had a, a lot of people who went to Cambridge that he knew, <laughs> including Tony Wilson, of course. He went there. Uh, he said, uh, yeah, you sure you want to go, lads? Saddam Hussein's, you know, going to be launching Scud missiles any time soon. And uh, so you sure, lads, you sure? He went, yeah, 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 too right, we want to go. <laughs> <laughs> Were so, you just desperate for a holiday? <laughs> <laughs> well, not, I'd never been to Tel Aviv, I don't think any of us had. We had a great time out there. Beautiful. I remember uh, driving from the airport over there or <laughs> at dawn with Riders of the Storm playing in the, in the van. It was misty, warm, and it was just a very, very memorable moment for me. Yeah, that's like something from a film. Yeah. It's a long song, that as well. (laughs) Did you make him go round the block? (laughs) Yeah. It wasn't the first time he mentioned that, you see. You know, he'd said it before to me or to the band. And said what? Well, I've I've got friends in MI5 or MI6, I can't remember which. But you never pressed him on it. Why didn't you press him on it? Because I just didn't believe. Just thinking how Mark's going on again when actually he was James Bond. Well, you know, they, they do recruit a lot of um, artists and writers, don't they? I think he liked to think he of went, himself as being one of them. And let's think about it, he travelled around the world a lot. Yes, exactly. So he could go to all these locations where nobody would think twice because they'd think, well, he's just playing a gig. Yeah, and universities mostly uh, around the world. Young people, intelligent people. Yeah, radical people. Radicals. You, know, you, might, uh, so, you might find them out, maybe. I think we need to perhaps look back at the songs and see if there are any hidden messages in those songs. Could be, you know. That we've missed. There could be. That's a different podcast. So Mark was a bit of a Walter Mitty type. Yeah, and also people say he's psychic. But um, he told me when the internet started, this is now 1994, 95, it's all taken off. He said, Simon, this will be the end of, you know, everything. I'm not sure what he meant. He might have meant the music business, but he might have meant this... Um, and possibly, this... really, he was right, because you think about musicians not being paid. Exactly. Maybe that, that's what he was talking about. I know he liked to do things live. And live's the only way people can make money these days. Well, I meant recording live as opposed to using computer pro tools and all the rest of it. It was a way against that. But I also wonder if you meant things like this pandemic was started, you know, coronavirus. Maybe he saw it, and, you know. Is he a prophet? Who knows? I don't know whether he was. I don't suppose I'll ever know. But as I say, a generous guy who always buy you a drink, always the first to get you a drink. Really good fun, good dancer. He'd get up and have a dance. Uh, for in a club somewhere, wherever it might be. And he'd been to Wigan Casino, you know, years before that. So, he'd, you know, had a lot of practice. I wasn't so good, unfortunately. But you'd get up and have a dance with him? Or would he always ask... Yeah, if I was really drunk, and the dance floor was packed out so I could get in the middle. Yeah, then I would. I know he cooked you a, an English breakfast, didn't he? Yeah, well, he swore by it to um, ward off all ills. You know, if you had a, a cooked breakfast every day. You know. Every day, what a big cooked <laughs> breakfast! Yeah. Good grief! Yeah, 
But I didn't see him cook anything else. So he didn't have a signature dish other than... No. ...eggs and bacon? No, not like my seabury. No, let's not <laughs> discuss that again. <laughs> when you look at the fall and its long history, why did he constantly get new people involved? Well, I think he just um, just got bored of people, like Viz Comet tried to point out in one of their stories about Marquis Smith from the fall. It's dead funny. Did he have his own comic strip? No, it was a one-off. I think this girl wanted to join the band and he said, right, you'll have to buy a guitar, love. Mm -hmm. and <laughs> have your hair cut or something. And she joined the band anyway. About two days later, she says, right, I'm bored of you. <laughs> was that part of it? Did he get bored of people? Yeah, I think if they annoyed him, um, you know, he'd just uh, get rid of them as soon as possible. How did he get rid of them? Did he argue with them, fight with them, or just make them very uncomfortable so that they wanted to leave? Bit of everything, I think. Yeah, yeah. Was he aggressive? Well, he could, he could, he could be, but, was, you know, he, he didn't work on the docks. He worked in the uh, shipping office at Manchester Docks. And uh, What, is that where he started? Yeah, that's one of the first jobs he ever had in an office there. Um, I'm not sure exactly what I did. You know, Sulphur Keys. I go around walking around there quite a lot. Chip Canal House, I think it might have been. And that's where he met Eddie, the monitor man who worked for OzPA. You know, so they've known each other years and years. And that's why I ended up doing the sound for Mark and the Fall you know, years later. Yeah, he, Mark would buy his uh, CDs, you know, rap CDs when, when we were over in Italy and places like that. So, yeah, Cock, I bought you this. Uh, you like rap, Mark. People may or may not find surprising, but then a lot of the fall stuff was kind of rapping, even though he's from Presswich. He's got a Mancunian accent, but it is kind of rapping sometimes. So when you went to a foreign country, would he go to the record shops and things? Yeah, he would, yeah, and bookshops. Always had a book. Yeah, and he always had a book and he always had paper. A4 paper that he was writing on, I remember. Yeah, in, in bags. Yeah, in unmarked carrier bags. Always unmarked. Uh, he didn't like it. I mean, you know, branding on the and side. he didn't want to advertise for anyone. No. Now he wanted to be a man of mystery, as I say. Yeah, but isn't that funny? Going back to his, you know, um, British intelligence connections. And, and his it's... prophecies about advertising and working and marketing it... for, for a bigger company. Yeah, didn't want a car. Not because he was scared of driving. But Could he, he drive? I've never seen him. Um, Had he passed his test? No. <laughs> uh, put it like this, I wouldn't let him drive mine. <laughs> but, but uh, yeah, he didn't want to be tracked and traced and he wouldn't have liked it in today's climate right now. What about mobile phones? No, he, he never had a mobile phone. I, I left the band in 97, so they were available. And the band, I, I had one for sure. Did you have one of those big brick ones? Uh, no, it wasn't that big. I did have one once, and it was unbelievable. We were coming back from America, it was called a Sony Mars bar, tiny little thing, and I rang uh, my ex-wife who was working on the market store. It worked. I jumped up, Only for a bit it got cut off, but I couldn't believe it when it first came out. So he was always a little bit worried about... Was he worried people were following him? Yeah, well, as I told you, he always had his uh, dictaphone hidden around, whether it was a studio, uh, your house, his house, anywhere, a really, hotel room. He'd always have it on just in case he'd catch you talking about him, which we were. <laughs> <laughs> I still think we should have the full tapes. There must be a box of them somewhere, but I don't know who's in control of the estate. 
uh, whether it's his ex, you know, Pam, I think she was called. Imagine getting those cassettes, though, and listening back all those years to all the different things that he was recording. It'd be hard work. <laughs> It'd be very hard work, and we'd have to pay a student to do it, I think. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> because who's got the time? But imagine the little gems we could uncover. Undoubtedly. There were some great things. Telephone conversations, you know, off an answering machine, stuff like that. There's a guy that um, got on, online the other day and he said, I've got a recording of um, Mark giving me a, you know, a good dressing down on the phone, thinking of making a, a record out of it. So <laughs> I tried this sort of thing myself uh, when Keir Stewart was a sound expert and he was working on the last album I worked on. You know, I used to say to him, look, just get get the answering machine message, that, you know, when he speaks to you. Put a nice beat behind it, you know, that's tasty. And he did it, and Mark found out, he went berserk. He didn't drop me in it, here. Uh, God bless him. <laughs> so I was Mark's wingman during my time, you know, when we, when we used to go out clubbing and what have you. And I do miss his uh, humour. You know, very, very funny ears, very funny. And I miss that, and uh, especially nowadays, you know, in this climate that we live in today, even more so. And what he would have thought about it all. Maybe he did see that, you know, in the early 90s when computers started taking off. Maybe that what, um, that's what it was. OK, my next M is going to be Morrissey. Although I've told you before, I didn't like um, the look of him or he wouldn't look at me in the eye when I first met him in uh, 81, 82, whatever it was. He's kind of kept a profile up. This thing now uh, coming out with daft comments you know, right-wing comments. And some, you know, it's just garbage, but he's, I think he's always flirted with, you know, colonial, you know, empire imagery of it all. You know, Union Jack, skinheads at the gigs. I think he must have quite liked it. Yeah, but he liked it, but not he didn't like it enough to stay here. Exactly. Um, he does very well in America. He plays big, big places in America, when, you know, when the touring's uh, going... And I think he just sort of forgot about England, basically. And just thought, sod it, you know, I'm in Trump's America here, I can do well. Do you think it was something to do with paying tax as well, though? Well, I can't speak for um, everybody in the band, but the trial judge, Joyce and Rourke, V. Marr and Morrissey, did describe him at the end of the trial as devious, truculent and unreliable, so I don't know, really. But uh, it sort of, you didn't get this... Bad reputation, really, till, uh, you know, the last sort of ten years, maybe. Do you think he's always been like that? Is this just him showing his true personality, or is this just him trying to get headlines? Maybe a bit of both, but he's Irish, so it just doesn't sort of make sense. Maybe it is trying to get headlines, you know, because his songs aren't as uh, catchy as the ones, you know, <laughs> that he used to have when he was in the Smiths. But either way... Um, I've been in the fall for about six years. Morrissey had gone solo after the Smiths split up and I, and I approached him, despite everything I've said about, you know, his voice and everything. But I did learn, you know, to like a lot of the Smiths stuff later on. And, you know, Strange Ways, Here We Come, you know, the sort of heavily produced stuff by uh, Stephen Street. Shoplifters of the World Unite. That's one of my favourite songs Yeah, and, of theirs. And Panic, you know, it's a great song and it still sounds good. 
when it comes on today. So I thought, oh, um, I'll, I'll try and get in here. So I, I wrote a letter and posted it through his mum's house up in Hale Bounds uh, that Morrissey had bought her. Any chance of any sessions? Now you've gone solo. Thought nothing more of it. And then two, a couple of weeks later, I get a postcard written in scroll, you know, scroll child-like writing <laughs> with a picture of some young lads in Smith's teacher, as T-shirts on the front. Oh, Simon, I, I, I thought your P40 was spoken for. My hip-swivelling days have been temporarily suspended. In the event of a thaw, I'll be in touch. So uh, I've still got this postcard that he sent to India House. It was there, about, must have been 91 or something, you know, when he first started out solo. Do you ever go to see him live? No, no, I haven't, and I wouldn't, really. Why? Because... The band, the Smiths, um, aren't with him anymore. That, that was the highlight for me, you know, that line-up. I know he does Smith songs now still, apparently, and I've seen them, actually, you know, on YouTube. I don't know, they've just not got the swagger of Andy and Johnny and Mike. There's something magic about the four of them together, wasn't there? Yeah, there was at the time. It's just not the same. It's like these tribute bands now, you know, like uh, Queen... I don't know what he's called, that guy, but everyone, oh, always just like him, but I just couldn't uh, get, <laughs> force myself to go to see that. You know, and the jam tribute bands. Uh, I don't know, I don't see any point, really, unless it's completely different from the original guy <laughs> who was singing it. So, yeah, I wouldn't go and see him, no. <laughs> Another M... Is uh, Manny from the Stone Roses, another musician, great guy. I'm, I'm really happy for him now because first time round, I don't think the Roses made a lot of money. You know, the record companies got involved and managers, and but uh, when they reformed, you know, well, it's about three or four, five years ago now, isn't it? They earned some serious cash, and uh, it couldn't have happened to a better guy, really, Manny. Integral part of the band's sound, I'd say. You know, he's great in Primal Scream too, was Manny, on the bass, very good. And he's just a really, really funny guy. And I bump into him now and again. I'm hoping he'll be out this weekend at one of my mates' do's in town at the Mayfield Depot that's going on. But we'll see. <laughs> yeah, a lovely fellow is Manny. I got invited um, when the second coming by the Roses was being recorded at Rockfield Studios down in South Wales. Uh, I drove down for the weekend, got there, <laughs> and I saw Ian. He said, Oh, Si, uh, nothing's been happening here for months. <laughs> the checks just keep coming. They were there for months, weren't they? Yeah. I saw it on the Rockfield documentary. It's a great documentary, isn't it? It is, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah they seem to be there. For, I mean, I know people take their time, but blimey. Well, they, had, they hadn't done anything for weeks. I didn't go out with Ian, and John disappeared to his room, and you know, in the residential bit there. I didn't see him again. So I just ended up in the pub with Manny for, you know, 48 hours, basically. <laughs> and, of course, everybody loved him, just buying him drinks all night. He liked it, you know. I had a good time with Manny. It's great when I go out and see him. Really, really funny. Very funny. The next time is going to be an MG midget car that the patrol singer 
back at South Trafford College. He owned one. Now we've got Andy Cousins in the band as the lead singer, as we'd see, you know, Ian had seen him in the canteen, you know, the American bike boots and the, uh, you know, flat top, flat top hair. So it was more about how he looked. You hadn't heard him sing yet. No, we hadn't. The fact that he had this MG midget, because none of us had a car, but he did, and uh, it was a convertible one. We all used to get in the back of it. Well, two of us, two in the front, two in a little tiny parcel shell, <laughs> and these sticking up. Health and safety. Yeah, and bomb it round the, uh, the lanes and by- byways of Cheshire, because he lived out near Poynton, you see, in the Starkey House. And we used to, wind, he used to have a CB radio in this MG midget. We just thought, <laughs> you know, it's sort of American thing. It had been trendy in the 70s, I think. Convoy, the film, CB radios, but uh, either way, we, we thought it was a bit mad, you know, a bit daft. And How the... many candles are you burning? Do you remember? <laughs> that, no, that's, what's that what, that's what you used to have to say on your CB radio. What did it mean? It means, how old are you? Oh, okay, How many yeah. candles are you burning? <laughs> so if it ever comes back, you can say that. <laughs> but Ian used to get on the mic and myself and go, you losers, get a life. And Andy get dead embarrassed because he was driving. But the, the other CB enthusiasts in that area would triangulate, try to triangulate our position in order to give us a good idea. You know, they caught us, but they never did. But, uh, yeah, it was a bit of sport that we used to do when we used to go rehearsing at Andy's house uh, <laughs> in the MG Midget, which I learnt to drive in, you know, as well as the Mini Cooper. Uh, I was driving this this one, this <laughs> MG. So, yeah, I've got fond memories of that car. <laughs> The next end then, Mark and Large Radio Show, uh, which was a mainstay of Radio 1 for years. How many years was it? Oh, I don't know. It was a long time, but without doubt, my favourite ever radio show. Yeah, well, once it finished, Mark and Large, that is, um, and I stopped listening to Radio 1. I just, I loved it, you know, the humour of the two of them. I finally got to meet Mark Radcliffe. Not so long ago, he brought a book out, book's called Crossroads, and it's about pivotal songs in pivotal moments of time in, you know, pop game, you know, over the years. And I went up to him to get one signed after. I said, oh, I've been trying to track you down for years, man. I'm Simon, you know, drummer. And he went, Simon! <laughs> it's dead funny. Finally got to meet the guy. Of course, Mark Riley had known for years. He'd signed up the, the Weeds and brought out the single and intake. China Doll, uh, back in '85, uh, I think it was. But they were great, and uh, the sketches they had on the show, in particular, you know, Fat Harry White. I mean, how they got away with that? Why? What, what, because of Barry's people, you mean? Just the the content of the humour. Oh, I know. You know, being a big fan of Barry White as well, and I loved it. Mm, baby, it's great to be in Cheshire, Jackie, tonight. Mm, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and also they introduced me to a lot of good music on the Mark and Large show um, especially a band like Grandaddy you know I love Grandaddy to death I saw them a load of times you know when I was on tour at festivals really really good 
moving pieces of music they do, Grandad. They're really good. So, you know, I'm thankful for that, you know, from listening through their show. I used to take out a little transistor radio so that I could listen to the Mark and Large show, the afternoon show, because they didn't last very long on the breakfast show, did they? They should, uh, they should never have moved to that time slot. Ah, uh, I see. But yeah. when they were in that afternoon time slot, it yeah. was perfect. Yeah, it was, yeah. So they could get away with anything, which they did, but I could not miss a day. So even if I was going somewhere, I had to take my radio with me so I could listen to them. Right, I wasn't that much of a... <laughs> oh, I was. <laughs> well, I was always driving around, you see, so I'd have it on on the radio. So I miss that. I mean, I was genuinely... I still am really upset that they're not together on the radio. You think that it's an easy thing to do and that it happens a lot, and it doesn't. No. Those sort of... When you get a chemistry like that. Yeah. What's the other one who does it now? McConey and... It's not the Have same. Have you read his new book, Stuart McConey? The Nanny State Made Me. Yeah, I haven't read it yet either, but I'm going to. Are you a big reader? Not really, but I've read a couple of his books, um, McConey, before. Pies and Prejudice, I read. And also read Mark Radcliffe's book, a Diary of a Rock and Roll No Star, which was very funny. <laughs> Has Mark Riley ever written a book? I'm not sure. I think it's something about David Bowie. Ah, right, OK. I yeah. think he's done maybe an online thing, I'm yeah. not sure. Because, of course, you know, he was mates with Dave Bowie. I know, because he turned up on their show quite a lot. Did he? Which I'm sure the pair of them could not believe. That David Bowie would... I think they could, Didn't they call him Dave Bowie on it, though? I, can't, I don't know. I think they did. Genius comedy. We yes. probably won't have radio like it again. No, I don't think so. Some radio shows where they try and force the chemistry or they put people together. It's just not the way to do it. You can't force good radio like that. No, to get the chemistry. It right. either right. works or it doesn't. Sure, yeah. No, I agree with you there. Okay, my next um, is uh, the BBC Two quiz show, Mastermind. Now, I've got a friend, Wes, who rang me about six years ago, it must have been, maybe seven. said, Si, you're, you're the answer on Mastermind. <laughs> Just watched it. <laughs> said, what? What's that? He said, yeah, they were asking questions about uh, the Smiths, the life and works of Stephen Patrick Morrissey. I said, oh, wow, really? Anyway, I, I did manage to see it um, after that, you know, on a catch-up or whatever. Sure enough, uh, they asked this Scottish school teacher, John Humphreys it was, presenting, who was the first person to record with drums with the Smiths, and they went, uh, Simon Wollstonecraft. And I thought, oh, God, thank God he got it, got it right, this guy. <laughs> That's when I decided to uh, start writing the book, which, you know, was about seven years ago. I thought it was great, that, you know. Gave me the encouragement to do it. So you're on Mastermind. What's your specialist subject? The works of The Clash, maybe. Really? Yeah, I think so. Do you know what I'm going to do one night? I'm going to do a Clash quiz. It's difficult to say. I'm going to do a special programme and I'm going to quiz you on The Clash. OK. And see how many points you get. Would you be OK on the general knowledge bit? I think so, yeah. Yeah. I got a few O-levels at school, even though I didn't use them at all. Can you ever answer any of the questions on University Challenge? No, that's a bit harder. Isn't it? Yeah. It really yeah. annoys me. Yeah, what's that other one? A million, what is it, million? <laughs> Who wants to be a millionaire? <laughs> that's OK, though, because the answers are in front of yeah, you. Yeah, that, that's true. That's did, not as bad. Did you see that film about it? Yes. Do you think he did it? Yeah, I do, yeah. 
Well, I thought it was very interesting the way they analysed the um, speech, you know, uh, on a graph, like forensically analysed everything, <coughs> which I suppose if they've got a lot of <laughs> <laughs> uh, money at stake, they have to do that. But, yeah, it was a good film. Yeah, but I thought the programme sort of lent more to saying that they didn't really know if he did or he didn't. Is that because they perhaps were involved? I in... think they would have kicked up more of a fuss, don't you? The people who were accused, <laughs> if, if, you know, lost out the money. But another millionaire, a millionaire club. There's another M in Manchester, dance club. I think it, it was behind Lewis's, where, that, where Primark is now. We used to go there. It was great, the music was just superb. And uh, we used to buy poppers. She's like amyl nitrate, is it? Poppers are horrible. Horrible things. I've never done it since. That's what I remember about it, listening to Dom or Summer. <laughs> Giorgio Moroder. Yeah. Brilliant, all them synthesizers. And thinking you're the greatest dancer. Yeah, but I wasn't. I'd be at the back, you know, supping a pint in the shadows, watching what was going on. But yeah, that's, that, that was a good club, that. <laughs> Another M for you. Well, Manchester United, when they come onto the pitch, when there's a crowd there anyway, they come onto the Stone Roses song, This Is The One, you know, to sort of, uh, you know, rally the crowd and get them all going. Uh, great song. Ian, obviously, very, very pleased about that, you know, because, well, he was a ticket holder. I used to go with him uh, on his season ticket sometimes. But one time, <laughs> they were doing a presentation in the middle of the pitch, and uh, it must have been the end of the season or something, and Ian, you know, was invited on anyway. <laughs> the security thought he was an unauthorised fan who had sort of got on. Oh, he didn't tackle him to the ground, did he? No, they didn't. Somebody spotted it, but I thought, <laughs> uh, he thought it was just dead funny when this happened. So, yeah, this is the one. <laughs> that must be a great feeling, though, if you're a fan. It's the same at City for Oasis when they play, yeah. obviously, Oasis tracks. It must just be so great. Must be a really good feeling. Right, let's write a song. Who for? For Stockport County. <laughs> Does he still play there then? Yeah, they still play at Edgeley Park. Is it not a rugby club as well? No, that's it's changed back again now. They used to share the ground, didn't uh, they? Did but, they? Yeah, but they don't anymore. Okay. No, they're doing quite well now, County. Come on, let's write a song. <laughs> <laughs> I've got another M, Mike Joyce, the drummer of the Smiths. You know, the drummer that after me. <laughs> oh, was he directly after you? Uh, they auditioned a few different people, I think, but picked him. He was in a punk band called Victim. So it's early days for the Smiths and Seymour Stein from uh, Columbia Records. Is it Columbia? Who are they signed to? Sire. Seymour Stein from Sire flew in on Concord to see the Smiths, his new signings. Mike had been... Well, he made a couple of mistakes during the gig. It was at the Brixton Ace. And Seymour Stein's there and all his... He looked like Demis Roussos or something. And all white lace, white silk trousers and what have you, white shoes. Gold, you know, very expensive jewellery. <laughs> Basically, Mike made a couple of cock-ups during the show. There was a bit of a thing going on afterwards because I, I drove Andy Rourke back and we broke down him in mini 1275 <laughs> on the M6 just outside Lim, unfortunately. Got someone to tow us back to sale. There were sort of rumours that they were going to, you know, Johnny had got angry about these mistakes and they were going to ask me to come back in. 
but it was the late Joe Moss who said, no, look, we better not rock the boat here. I've, I've mentioned this in my book, but Mike's never held it against me. Either that or he's never had my book. <laughs> <laughs> Shh, don't mention it. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, what a great guy. And, uh, you know, I love it. I love it when I see him. It's great. And Tina, his wife, you know, lovely. He's a very good broadcaster as well. Yes, you he You must is. have heard his show. I have, and plays excellent music. He does. And I've seen him DJ in clubs as well. Really, really good. Yeah, we used to go around to his Christmas parties, Mike. When the Smiths hit big, he bought a house, you know, in Altrincham. They had these legendary Christmas parties every year in the cellar. It was yeah, really, really good. Went on for years and years. You know, I've got some great memories of those parties. And he moved to another house down the road, a bigger one, after that. His um, children, some of them, went to my daughter's school, which is uh, St George's in Altrincham. So I used to see him, you know, we used to drop the kids off. Doing the school run. Yeah, it was great, you know, catching up with him. And then we'd walk back uh, into town before we went our separate ways. Um, one year there was a sports day and he... <laughs> We, we, well, we volunteered to be in the egg and spoon <laughs> <laughs> And he beat me. He was really fast. He was a fast runner, even with a, a porcelain egg and a wooden spoon. <laughs> that, you know, left me for toast. <laughs> what is the role of the drummer in the songwriting process? Well, primarily the timekeeper, of course. When you're actually writing all together in a room, you can sort of sp- speed up a section or... When you go into it from a chorus to, uh, to a verse and back to a chorus to accentuate it, when you you know if you're all right together, you can sort of help things along when it feels when it should change the song, you know, to a uh, different key or section or you know to do a sp- specific role. It's listed as Morrissey Marr, isn't it? All the songwriting. Yes, and th- this is what the court case was about. A bit like Tony McCarroll from Oasis. He, you know, he took the uh, Gallagher brothers to court, didn't he? And got a sizable payout as well. And, you know, set up a studio. And, and that's an, and that's another drummer. Yeah, well, so it's, it's, it's it seems a to lot, me really. that the drummers get overlooked, as if they're not as important songwriters. Well, it, this can happen a lot. Uh, it's different now, of course, but I think if you're all say you start off in a, stu- a rehearsal studio jamming something out if you've played on it for instance day one and then you record that and it develops from there you should be songwriting partner that's how it works with my band San Pedro now if you were there and you were playing on that track whether it's a tambourine or guitar or whatever it is part of the writing process and when I turn up with my castanets I'll be on the uh... <laughs> you're too late Inda come in and did something oh, I cannot <laughs> believe I've missed my big chance <laughs> <laughs> OK, we're going to need a soundtrack for the letter M. What have you got? Well, my first song is by the band Grandaddy. And it's called The Crystal Lake. And I used to listen to this song when Mark and Lard played it on the Radio 1 show. God, it was on the A playlist. It was great. I loved it. I got to see the band loads after that. It's through Mark and Lard that I discovered Grandaddy. Second song is American Boy by Estelle. Third one, Keep On Running, Spencer Davis Group. Next is Beatles, Hello Goodbye. And the next one, The Emotions, Best of My Love. Great song. Okay. Fantastic. <laughs> 
I'll see you again next week. Okay. This podcast was produced and edited by John. Post-production is by Carl Svensson at Tadar Media Limited. Music by Colin McGrath, Joe Brown, Johnny Smale and Simon Wollstonecroft. And the artwork is by Lee Dyer. This has been Funky Size A to Z of Manchester. Thanks for listening to Funky Size A to Z of Manchester. If you're enjoying this series, please subscribe and leave a review wherever you get your podcasts.